What's good, listeners? I'm Chris Collins, your host of The Chris Collins Show. And I'm Marissa Pitts, his trusty sidekick. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and be sure to tune in to The Chris Collins Show live every Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific Time. And follow us on social media and check out our website at chriscollinsshow.com. Peace. Ciao, Bellas. has been somebody I've been wanting to, you know, bring in on the telephone interview for a long time. This is uh, Anthony Sparzo. He is the director of the Sacramento uh, Sober Living Homes, and mm-hmm. he's also a book author of From Judas to Me. Uh, I think it's powerful. I think it's a great autobiographical bio- book. And uh, can you explain a little bit more about, you know, your life story? I mean, I think it's really interesting. I think that it really comes down to, you know, um Genetics. I was raised in a, I was raised in a family that you know loved to party, you know. And uh, back in the '70s, you know, dating myself out of the millennial era here, um, you know, is is basically more acceptable. Um, and I was able to you know kind of gravitate towards that, you know. And with anything, the tolerance grows, the addictions grow, dependency becomes, and you know the lifestyle is, uh, you know. A result of the dependency that you know I you know got attracted to, and it's really you know if we're you know and I, I really try to talk about me as a self disclosure is great because it connects me with it connects me with my clients that I work with today you know um, and what I really what I really find you know to be fascinating is the stories aren't much different. You know, different zip codes, same issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, different generations, same issues. But we're dealing with it. We're dealing with an issue now, uh, an epidemic. You know that. You know that's the way it's labeled through media and stuff. But what's really what's really being lost in 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 this fight is life. Um, there's yeah. a, there's a continued and it's an, and it's an exaggerated, egregious number that continues to pop up: fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people a year succumbing. To opioids, whether that be the pills um, that you know the pharmacies pushed out for years and years and years, probably not expecting it to backfire in them and turn into a, a full blown heroin uh, crisis, but that's where we're at, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, and I, that's yeah. I mean, one of the I sorry to cut you off. I mean, one of the craziest like statistics that I found out was on the CDC report, and they had in 2016 just alone. I don't know if you know this, Anthony, but they were saying over. 42,000 people in the U.S. died of an overdose linked to opioids, but that pretty much represented about 66% of the nearly 63,000 overdose fatalities that year. I mean, yes. that's that's ridiculous yeah. to me. And another thing, I, um, Matthew, I mean, we've spoken about this, too. I don't know, if Chris, if we talked about it, um, but for our listeners, it's what I demographic. Um, I was reading an article, and they were breaking down the demographics of who is actually succumbing to opioid, um, not only the higher addiction rates that they're able to clock in, but the deaths. And it's actually millennial women mm. who are Caucasian, and they are the highest death rate. Um, about and it reminded me of the story that you had, Chris, about this woman you were dating who was doing pills. Yeah, and I was completely like just thinking about all that, how accessible it is for myself to go to my parents. I can go, to, I can go to my parents and go, oh, I got a backache. Where's my Norco? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's upstairs yep. in the in the cabinet, honey, right behind the as- the aspirin. I'm like, right, oh okay, right. right. I mean, luckily I don't have an, an addiction problem anymore. 
But if yeah. when I did, I was taking the pills. I was doing whatever I could to well, get high. You know, it's like it's the thing. It's like you know, I got like my ex girlfriend back in the day. She was so hooked on that Adderall pill. You know, and I never really saw it as like a problem halfway through the relationship because obviously I'm naive. I don't take pills like that. You know, maybe the last time I did it was when I got my wisdom teeth pulled out, you know, <laughs> saying that's about it and then I need it. But, you know, it, it becomes one of those things where I always joke with people. I mean, especially my age group, it's like, how much energy do you really need? I mean, we got five-hour energy shots. We got everything from Monster Energy drinks to Red Bulls. It's like how much energy you need. You would think that your older parents would need it. But, you know, us kids, we get so hooked on it. Do you find that, you know, Anthony, as something that's an ongoing problem where, you know, maybe it's sometimes the energy drink now and then maybe it goes straight into, the you know, the vape pens and then, you know. You know, honestly, I mean, I work with, I work with the kids up in uh... – uh, I work with at-risk youth um, with the high schools and stuff like that, and it's I think it's the perf- it's the pressure to perform mm. at any level, yeah. whether yeah. that whether that's just showing up in high school, whether that's you know you're also talking about you're, you're also talking about a generation whose parents we see more in this generation, the millennials, where the grandparents themselves are addicted. Yeah, my you know the grandparents well. used to be wow. the safe place mm-hmm. when we were kids. The parents were a little messed up. And but now you're seeing it with grandparents, and I'm not blaming any one generation. I'm just saying that as far as millennials go, and the knock that is on the millennials is we, there's a generation prior to that, you know, that's responsible for where we're at today. And also, right? on, and on top of that too, you know, I was talking to my husband about this um, episode coming up, and um, one thing he said, he's from the UK, is that because Americans have such easy access to pharmaceuticals and drugs Absolutely. the epidemic in america is like you don't really see that in england you don't see mm, yeah. a you know i mean you don't see the gun violence that they you know, we have you don't see oh. the pills because of restrictions put in um and and having that access and it doesn't always you know for me i like being able to go to my doctor and getting a pain pill but i also realize yeah. like how easy it is for me to say tramadol doesn't work i have to have a norco yeah and yeah. not walking out of that office until my doctor gives me a norco Versus being well, like, no, hey, is there a problem? Thing, and, and, and not to cut you off, Marissa, oh, yeah. but that, that, that lends to a, a stat that's really kind of scary is that it's, it's estimated that 98% of the hydrocodone used in the world is used right here in the United States. Wow. Um, and wow. it's big business. You know that's what I mean? It's insane. big business, very lucrative. And again, you're going back to the big farms that didn't expect that it's easier today, it's easier to access, it's cheaper to access heroin than it is pills. Um, they, you know, the government came in, they thought they were combating it, they restricted it, they remodified, you know, the oxys to where you couldn't crush them anymore. And see, that's what really happened is every mm. addict is going to figure out a way to modify drugs for a quicker, faster, easier high. Um, yeah. And when that started happening, they tried to come in, the government thought they were doing their job by, you know, remodifying it so you couldn't crush them. And what happened is people got frustrated and said, you know what, boom. And, you know, the one thing about it is, you know, that we're, we're dealing with now is accessibility. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier because, you know, all the all the emergency rooms now, they're all connected in. So, you know, if you're getting, you're getting your pills in Riverside, it's connected to Los Angeles yes. and they can find and out. And I love that. that. You just pull, you just, that's it. You pull from an emergency room. So now 
They're just, you know, are you drug seeking? So that's the first thing they, they talk about, you know, plus you work that into insurances, you know, and then all that happens is they kick it back to a methadone clinic. And that's not, that's not a solution. Methadone is not a solution. Well, um, it's an, it's an extension of the issue, you know, um, is, is it possible to recover? Absolutely. Um, is it always, the, is it always the case? Not always necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, now I see, I see where people, you know, want to, you know, blast down on marijuana, you know, for this and that, right. but then they're, and they're advocating for methadone and I've never understood <laughs> right. that, you know, I mean, have, that, have that some synthesized heroin versus some marijuana. It's maybe very yeah. unpopular. My, my, my voice has been very unpopular in certain settings that I've worked in because they're, you know, you're advocating for it. I'm not, I'm not telling anybody to go out and smoke. Yeah. I'm just saying that the, the two lessers, I, I believe in harm reduction, 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, and if, uh, if one of my clients tests positive for marijuana but is negative for heroin and meth and Xanax, uh, that's a huge victory. You know what I mean? It's, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a psychological wow. victory for the client, you know, and there's non-judgmental involved. I don't want to judge anybody. Nobody should be judged. We should be trying to communicate for a solution. Mm-hmm. And that is where these generations get mixed up. You know, you got these older, you got these older guys still calling the shots and they're knocking on these millennials or trying to do things different. If we continue, yeah. if we continue to follow, you know, the prescription of, of, of a doctor from the seventies, Fifty years. It is true. It's a fifty-year yeah. um, change, and we're still doing That's the it. same type of intervention and processes from fifty years ago. Yeah, from the eighties, exactly which is right. thirty years. Well, I mean, it's ridiculous. And I think the thing is, I, I, Anthony, I, I gotta love you for that. I thought that was so refreshing to hear from you say that you know marijuana is a victory for some of these people that are coming off something so much way more drastic Anxiety than marijuana mm-hmm. you know the devil's yeah. lettuce you know what i'm saying because no that's romaine you know, because <laughs> i i always make this joke you know about these interventionists you know that come in and do you know your service work but i think you guys are guardian angels you know don't get me wrong but i always make the little joke because i think some of these guys that are interventionists you know it's like yeah they'll rag on them it's like if he's not clean completely he's nothing you know we mm. have not fixed him it is not a victory for well, us and they're then, clean though is different because i could be on xanax but, i could be on anxiety ridden pills and so i'm technically not clean but i was gonna say it's not even that i'm not even saying the intervention's doing mm-hmm. that some of those guys will just go home and crack a beer go drink some hard oh, liquor yeah. you don't think that's a main problem in our united states today liquor is the main problem i have had more people go into rehabilitations over alcohol than any other drug and I don't know if that I, if I got that totally backwards, but I think alcohol is the main problem. And then I think it really goes down to is mental health. You know, it's like Having opioid access. is a more fancier mm-hmm. word to say. And I kind of compare it like with the homelessness. It's like there's no money in the government to support the homelessness, like like mental health. Where's the money? Where's the profit? That's why we don't have enough investment into any of these kind of things. Which you I, can thank uh, Reagan. He, he closed mental health um, facilities in the 80s. Well, I think it, this brings on to a good point because I wanted to read this out loud. You know, in 2016, an estimated 21 million people the age of 12 or older in the United States needed substance misuse treatment, but only 2.1 million people got it. Mm. Yeah. And if you don't have if you don't have the financial means, um, trying to motivate somebody to go into detox is hard enough. Mm-hmm. But when somebody that doesn't have the financial means is put on an eight-week, you know, waiting list to get a bed, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's, you know, it's, 
there's not a possibility they're actually going to get the bed. You know, um, somebody will get it, but the, the, the surroundings that you're, you're put into, and, of course, it's not supposed to be easy. Yeah. Um, a lot of times they say, you know what, jail's the best detox. You know, that's a problem, too. Yeah. Um, you know, we could fill up hours upon hours of radio time actually talking about what the problems are. We want solutions right. for the problem. And, you know? that... and you're absolutely correct. I mean, mental health is the primary. I believe that drug, drug and alcohol use and misuse and dependency is a response to the primary, which is trauma, yeah. mental health, PTSD, borderline schizophrenia, you know, um, and again, I'm not a mental health expert. I'm, I'm, I myself am an interventionist and a mentor, and that is one of the key pieces that's missing in treatment today. We do case management. Case management is, is necessary, but it's necessary for one major reason. It's case management is necessary for insurance so that these agencies can get paid. Um, they're putting out a lot of effort. They're putting out a lot of time. But that's that's the that's the, the reason it's got to be defined through progress reports and what is the action being taken mm-hmm. and does it fit the the criteria for treatment blah 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 blah. And then, Tony, but real- what is what is happening? We're not mentoring these people. Yeah, and that kind of goes know? on when you go into mentoring. So for our listeners and our uh, few minutes we have with you, what. Um, steps or guidance can you give our listeners who either know somebody because everybody knows someone who is um, struggling with an opioid or any type of addiction or themselves are um, struggling what advice can you give our listeners especially during the holiday season I think I think the advice is is that really be you know really be cognizant of what you're seeing and if there's if there seems to be an issue um, from Adderall up I mean Adderall is big on college campuses you know Mm -hmm. what I mean because again there's the pressure the advice I would give is communication. Communicate to somebody yeah. their, their, your concerns, your fears. You know what I mean. And don't let it be, don't let it be swept under the rug, man. Because this is somebody's life. You know, um, the kids today, and you see the college students, man, they're under unbelievable amount of pressure to perform at mm-hmm. the highest level, whether it's for you know self, you know, performance or from parents, you know, uh, siblings. I mean, you know, communication is key, you know, and then modeling the behavior, modeling the behavior that says, you know what, it, 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 it's okay to be sober. It's okay to recover. It's, it's actually an incredible adventure to go from where I was at, you know, addicted for 30-plus years of my life to where I'm at today. Um, and if I'd, had, if I'd had more modeling of behavior from those mentors, maybe somebody would have, you know, gripped me instead of judging me. Yeah. Um, I felt a lot of judgment from the law enforcement, and, and they got their job to do. And I'm not going to sit here and you know blast on the system right now because that's not what this is about. Yeah. But the modeling of behavior, really having effective communication amongst everybody, you know, from policymakers, you know, right down to you know you and me. Uh, you're 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 a model of change. You're an agent of change, brother, because you're taking the time to speak about this very very important situation that's happening in our country right now. You're a millennial, you know, reaching out to me, and and I'm 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 this I'm this older generation. I don't even know what generation. You're I am. X I think generation hey, X. <laughs> You're generation you know, X, Bro- brother. I'm that old. I'm that old now that I don't even, I mean, I don't even realize you, the generation. But you, here's the thing: I have nothing but respect for you. And if we could start to you. really, you know, join forces and start to respect each other and guide each other rather than this is the way it is. No, 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 man. That, you know, that, that, that shit was foolish. That's a beep. That stuff was foolish back in the the 70s. It doesn't work today, man. I mean, we're a progressive 
we're a progressive race, man, of people that is trying that is that is really trying to struggle just to find themselves. Yeah, you know. And I and think we don't have to feel, man, when we got when we got the opioids racing through us. But the tolerance and the addiction is so quick; it takes over within weeks to a month. And you know what? You never look back, man, until you're done. You know, and there's a scary age, you know, and I, and I, I really, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what it is, but the age of 23 just seems to be a breaking point because wow. I have dealt with more 23 year olds this year than at any time in my career. Um, and I don't, I really don't know what the correlation between the addiction and that age is, but currently I'm, I'm working with four 23 year olds right now in, in my, my recovery homes. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's that breaking point because they're starting so young. You got kids that aren't even going to pills anymore. They're coming straight to heroin at 14, 15 years old. Wow. And that is, that is, that is not, a, that is not normal. And that doesn't say that doesn't, doesn't give us a lot of hope for the future of this generation that's coming up right behind the millennials, you know? So it's yeah. up to the millennials to start showing the, you know, start modeling the behavior, you know, and communicating with the younger generation so that we can somehow eradicate this, you know, hopefully in the next five, 10, 15 years. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, I, uh, I, know, I definitely agree with you, Anthony. And I, Man, I really wish we have more time with you, man, because we we're running down low you know, on this. But I think this is something, Anthony, I'm telling you, you really need to come down in the studio. You need to come out and talk because I want, I want to expand this conversation even more. I mean, gosh, that 15 minutes flew by so fast because I have so many things I want to talk to you even more. I mean, yeah, we just barely brushed off marijuana, but I definitely think there's some problems with that, too. I mean, you can't be going to clinics and then taking a dab and then driving home. <laughs> That is the most craziest thing I have ever heard in my life. But, uh, Anthony, I just wanted to say thank you for coming on and calling in on the Chris Collins Show live on 22 West Radio. This is 88.1 HD3. Thank you so much. Uh, You're very welcome, guys. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to uh, working with you guys again soon. Yay. Great. I appreciate it. Yes, we really want you guys back in. And, yes, enjoy your holidays, my friend. Absolutely. Take care, guys. All right. You too now. Bye.